What's going on, guys? This is the Fieldcrafts for All podcast. I'm going to be your host for both the ad space and the podcast. We got an awesome podcast coming up with Johnny Strong. If you guys don't know who he is, just watch the movie Black Hawk Down, watch Fast and the Furious, look up Johnny Strong Knives. The dude's all over the place. Modern day Renaissance man, total, total badass. Someone who is one of these Hollywood guys, but he's not a Hollywood guy at the same time. Before we get to that, I got to recognize our sponsors. And these are the sponsors that allow me to bring really cool folks on, allow us to get their message out there to you. And uh, we are going to support them as much as we can. So the two supporters of this podcast are Sig Sauer and Black Rifle Coffee Company. I'm going to start off with Black Rifle. I think I've had three cups of coffee from Black Rifle today just alone um, in the past maybe two and a half, three hours. So I might be talking a little bit fast, but that's totally fine. It's not like I drank their ready to drink stuff, which has like 200 milligrams of caffeine in a single can. This is like three regular all American cups of coffee, right? Just black coffee, good stuff. So I don't even know what that is in terms of milligrams of caffeine. I'm, I'm like the worst Asian when it comes to counting. Uh, it's not a racist thing. I'm half Asian. All right. So uh, I'm going to tell you that Black Rifle Coffee, amazing company, good folks over there. We visited them a bunch of times over in Salt Lake City. They've come down to us a few times uh, to hang out with us and be on our podcast and do all that great stuff. Evan and his team are producing a lot of amazing products, uh, not just coffee, but uh, coffee connoisseur products, right? So they've got all sorts of different ready-to-drink stuff, Keurig cups, um, powdered coffee, and then the instant coffee that you can get for travel. I mean, Everyone here at the company is a big fan of Black Rifle Coffee. And I'll tell you that I am definitely included in those ranks. So here's the deal. If you go to their website, which is www.blackriflecoffee.com, you can use our coupon code CRAFT15, and that's going to get you 15% off of your order. If you play around and put things in your shopping cart over there, and then put in our code, you can see if it applies or not. There are going to be certain exclusions to that code. I can't promise you that our code is gonna work on everything, but when it does, it will save you some money that you can then turn around and spend on more coffee, on ammo, or gas for your car, or whatever you want. So check them out, blackriflecoffee.com. Use our coupon code CRAFT15, and hopefully we can save you a little bit on your next purchase. The second company that I want to identify and recognize, Sig Sauer. I'm carrying a Sig pistol right now. I've got my 365. My buddy Cav over there at the Sig Academy got me hooked on a whole bunch of Sig pistols as I was a student over there for many years. And I just got a memory that popped up in my uh, Facebook account from their Reach for a Thousand class, or maybe it was the two-day uh, advanced long-range class, but it was pretty sick because in that class, what we did at 750 yards, a bunch of spray paint cans were uh, put out on the berm and the students had a chance to shoot at these cans. Now the SIG rifle deck, there's a 100, a 200, a 300, a 500, a 750, and a thousand. I believe those are the distances. Uh, we were shooting from 750 and we were popping uh, those spray paint cans. Now, if you think about it, that's a pretty difficult shot. And I was pretty excited because I ended up winning the, the student shoot off and I got a, a Sig Sauer patch. I can absolutely attribute a lot of my marksmanship capability, the way I shoot today, to my training that I've had at the Sig Academy. And 
I love a lot of their products. I love my MCX. I've got my 320. I got my 365 XL. I'm debating if I'm going to get an MCX, right? I've got the MPX, which is the pistol, uh, little carbine, but I kind of want one of their MCXs bad just because it's a really unique firearm and that it doesn't have a traditional buffer tube and it's got a folding stock where you can have repeated rounds fired when the stock is folded and it's a pretty compact package. So we'll see what happens. But in any case, guys, go over to sigsour.com, take a look at what they have to offer. There's some really, really cool stuff coming down the pipe. We just got our hands on the SIG 10 mil in 320. It's the X10. Oh my God, what a great gun. So check them out, www.sixhour.com. All right, we're going to get down to this podcast right now. It's with Johnny Strong, total badass. I think you're going to enjoy it. Here we go. Hey guys, welcome to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I'm going to be your host for this episode. My name is Kevin Estella. I'm the director of survival training. And, you know, I like bringing in interesting guests. I like having people that kind of live by the motto of being prepared here at Fieldcraft and folks that kind of epitomize the type of people that we want you to be. Now, this is a, an interesting podcast guest because he's like a modern day Renaissance man. And you were called a Renaissance man back in the Renaissance if you were skilled in a lot of different areas, right? We had people who were painters, sculptors, writers. And today you can be a Renaissance man in a lot of different things. If you're a musician, a writer, a director, a martial artist, a shooter, well, this guy happens to be all those. And you probably recognized him if you've ever seen the movies Fast and the Furious, uh, Daylight's End, Black Hawk Down. He's been in a bunch of other movies as a character actor. And if you're in the knife community, you might have even seen his knives. So this guest is someone who a friend of mine from Exotac was like, you got to get him on. We got to talk. You're going to hit it off. We've been chatting a little bit before this podcast, and I know you guys are going to enjoy this one. So without further ado, I want to introduce Johnny Strong. Johnny, how are you, man? I'm fantastic, Kevin. Thanks for uh, inviting me on for a conversation. Yeah, it's going to be a good one because I think we got a lot of commonalities here. And you're one of these Hollywood guys who I almost don't want to call you a Hollywood guy. I mean, you just called me a Hollywood guy. I know, I know, but you're not the typical Hollywood guy because you actually right. do things that some people just try to pretend and act like they know how to do. And sure. my, in my background with you, like I first became aware of you as like a more than just a an actor in that movie Daylight's End. I was like, okay, he's carrying a 1911. Oh, he's got 10 round mags. Oh, he's running an M1A. Oh, you, like mm. I'm like this dude knows what he's doing. And then I did a little bit of research because I'm a I'm a movie nerd and I'm doing the IMDb stuff. And it's like, okay, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. And you know, I start following your your social media and you're like running through the mountains with a rifle. And I think it might have even been a scout rifle at the time. Yeah, and I was like, probably. damn, this guy's doing it. Um, so I I take it back. You're not quite the normal Hollywood guy. <laughs> yeah. But I, I'd say, yeah. I, I've always had um issue with with that term right mm -hmm. because it's it's really you know we say it in a derogatory framework right if you're a hollywood guy it usually nowadays right um connotates that you are a douchebag you're a hollywood guy <laughs> right. you know what i mean yeah um and i've unfortunately there's a a ton of merit to that because 
in my experience and time that I spent in Hollywood, um, I the majority of people I interacted with. Now, this is remember, there's if we wrote on a piece of paper, right, where uh, we said uh, the top line is above average, right, and then right. right below that we put average, and then right below that we put below average. If we draw a circle around average and below average, you have the majority. So, and I say this in Hollywood, the majority are douchebags. And that, you know, that term, right, Hollywood guy is, you know, a, a pretty accurate label for a lot of these uh, individuals. Now, there are a handful of people that I have worked with and uh, interacted with in the movie business that aren't that, that wouldn't, um, that I wouldn't classify as Hollywood guys. Um, and even myself, you know, I, I, I was, I wasn't, I didn't get into um, being an artist um, for the same reasons that the majority of people get into being in Hollywood. You know, the, the incentives for people in the majority, again, like I was saying, um, those incentives are not genuine incentives, at least not in my uh, my framework. Like for me, um, I consider what I do pure art and not art for commerce. And I think those, those are two separate things, right? For me, when I write music or when I make a knife, design a knife or hand make a knife or uh, when I write a script or when I do uh, whatever I'm doing, it is for pure satisfaction. I'm writing that song because that's, that's going to satisfy my spirit. Um, if other people like it, then great. That's, that's an accident. You know, that's a, you know, um, serendipitous, if you will. Right. Um, whereas in the art for commerce, those individuals, the incentive is, well, what kind of song could I write to make people happy? Or what kind of song could I write to be a pop song to sell millions of records? Uh, so therein lies one of the key differences and why I don't really consider myself a Hollywood guy, you know, art for commerce, Hollywood guy. Mm -hmm. um, I'm just an artist. And I think um, maybe um, that's, one of the main differences and why I think to be called a Hollywood guy, there is a little bit of that, um, you know, um, that's a, I don't know. It's a kind of an insult, but I don't take it as an insult. Cause I don't, I don't think you mean it as that. No, no, I never would. Uh, yeah. you know, cause I'm, when I say that I'm thinking like you've been in some very, very big blockbusters, right? Black Hawk sure. down. Oh my gosh. Uh, Fast and sure. the Furious. I mean, that is a franchise that I don't know what number they're on now, but oh my gosh. 50. They're on 50. Yeah, they're on 50. <laughs> I mean, yeah. there, there's no well, doubt I mean, about I it. If someone says like, oh, has right, he made that's it? The biggest, that's the biggest film in, you know, film franchise in history. Yeah. And that's so fucking strange. Well, the thing is, is the other strange thing about this existence, right, is our minds um, are very short-term oriented minds where um, 
the film business is what, like a hundred years, maybe a little over a hundred years old. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's really um, like a, a nanosecond in in the history of things. So for a film to be part of a film like that um, and have it be the biggest film franchise in history, I think that's kind of cool. You know, it's not, I wouldn't like, if you said to me, Johnny, um, you're going to get hit by a fucking meteor what do you want the world to remember you from? I don't think I'd say Fast and Furious. Um, I wanna, I'd I wanna... probably say, yeah, go check out Black Hawk Down or check out my new film, War Horse One. Those would be the films that I would point to as far as personal satisfaction as an artist, you know? I want to go back to something that you said real quick. You said that there were a handful of people that you worked with that you would consider just like stand-up guys, right? Sure. Um, and I'll, and I don't want you to drag anyone through the dirt. Like you, I don't want you to say that guy's a, a douchebag or whatever, but the ones that are the good ones, like who would you say to the listeners? Like, Hey, you should pay attention to this guy. Cause he does good things. He's a, a solid individual. Like who have you worked with? Billy Fickner. Like, uh, uh, people would know him by William Fickner. Um, mm-hmm. he's a great dude, great dude. And, and as far as professional, um, as an actor, as a dude, as a family man, like I love this dude. Uh, Kim Coates is another great dude. Um, both of them I worked with on Black Hawk Down. We worked on a film that Billy directed called Coldbrook. Um, Kim is a amazing fucking actor. Um, you might remember him from the last Boy Scout or uh, Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, he's the um, one that Bruce Willis punches in the face in the last Boy Scout. Yeah, 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 when he's getting slapped around by the indoor pool or whatever that was. Um, But these two guys, as far as actors are concerned, um, these guys are my friends. Like, and I I don't, you know, my circle is really small. And if, if, um, you know, tomorrow I would just start writing and directing a movie, um, if somebody would say, who are the actors that, that you'd call up to help you do it? Those would be my two guys. Um, who else? I mean, I'd say, you know, I leave it at that. Like those two guys are my favorite guys that I've met in the business. And I'm very, I'm a private guy, you know, and I'm not very social when it comes to interaction um, on movie sets. I'm there for one reason, um, to do work and, and, in my mind, the work is to find the authenticity of uh, me using my face and body and spirit to, uh, you know, conjure emotional magic to make um, a character come to life in front of the camera. You know, um, some people they go to a movie set and it's, ah, who am I gonna fuck? Or um, uh, what drugs am I going to do or what, you know, how famous is this movie going to make me or whatever, you know, like I was talking about earlier, the wrong incentives. Um, But in my experience of time spent on movie sets, these are two guys that I were, you know, I, I found myself going, yeah, I'd spend time outside of working on movies with these two guys. So those those two guys are definitely not douchebags. <laughs> you talk about getting immersed in the role. And one of the movies that we already mentioned, Black Hawk Down, 
I mean, mm-hmm. that is a, a heavy role if you're going to get into one. A Medal of Honor recipient, I mean, a, a serious hero. I mean, we're talking about uh, Randy Sugart, right, and the mm-hmm. story of Sugart and Gordon. Can you kind of walk yes, us sir. through when you got that role? Like, where's your head at when you're like, okay, I'm going to be portraying this man who, you know, ultimately died. I mean, where, Mm -hmm. where do you go to like pay respect? Like, how do you, how do you do that? Like, what, what is your mind thinking and, and how do you prepare yourself for that? Um, you know, I've told this story only a couple times. Um, this was, I'd say a couple years before, um, the filming of Black Hawk Down, where I was in my living room working out with this new weight vest I got, and it was kicking my ass. But I was working out and I was like, you know, trying to get stronger in my train, my physical training that I was up to. I was doing like underwater training in my pool in the backyard, and I do weight vest stuff with pull ups and dips and all this kind of stuff. Um, but I was in my living room doing push ups and pull ups and stuff on my pull up bar in the doorway. And in the background, there's this TV show on called Suicide Missions or uh, Deadliest Missions. I forgot what the title was. It was on the History Channel. And I remember I'm listening. I'm not paying attention to the TV. I could just hear it in the background, you know. And um, they go into a segment about these two snipers that dropped out of a helicopter to go protect a crashed Black Hawk helicopter. And they protected the crash site until they both succumbed to gunfire, sacrificed their lives, but their actions ended up uh, holding off a mob long enough for the pilot, Michael Durant, to survive the um, situation. Now, while I'm working out, I know it sounds like some pussy shit, but while I'm working out, I start fucking crying. Like I got tears in my fucking eyes. And I, I said to myself, that's what I got to do in the movie. I'm, I'm the guy that's going to show that to the world. And I shit you not. I got a call later on, like months later or a year later for a film called Pearl Harbor. And there's a casting director uh, who I think is one of the best in the business named Bonnie Timmerman. Did like Michael Mann stuff, Miami Vice, like just everything, Bruckheimer, everything. And I go in and meet with her and I said, listen, I don't, I don't like this script. I don't think Pearl Harbor is going to be a good movie. And she's like, you're fucking crazy. Everyone in Hollywood wants to be in this movie, da, da, da. And she took me downstairs and showed me this huge diorama that they had made, these model sets of Pearl Harbor and what they were going to do. And it was a huge movie. And I said, you know, I'm going to give you my honest opinion. I think it's Titanic, like loosely wrapped in a Pearl Harbor story. And I just don't feel like um, I want to do it. And she was like, well, I appreciate you know, your, your thoughts on this. And um, I think you're crazy, but I'm going to be doing this Ridley Scott movie next year. And you might be, you know, right for something. And I said, all right, thank you, Bonnie. I love you. Thank you. Da, 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 da. And I parted ways and forgot all about it. Right. I wind up on the set of the fast and the furious. Uh, and I'm walking by Vin Diesel's trailer headed to my trailer. And he goes, uh, 
Johnny, I'm reading this script. You got to read it. And I said, what is it? And he said, oh, it's called Black Hawk Down. You'd be, you'd be great in this movie. There's not really anything for me, but you'd be great. You know, this type of thing. And I go, okay, cool. Thanks. Thanks. Whatever. And I fucking walk to my trailer. I, I texted uh, or emailed or whatever. I don't even know if I had emailed at that time. I think I used my Blackberry or something, texted my manager. And I was like, hey, um, there's something called Black Hawk Down. I don't know what it is, blah, blah, blah. So a few weeks later, they send me, um, they send me uh, something called a breakdown. And in Hollywood, they, they put out these things called the breakdown services, which is right if we're making a movie called Kevin's Big Adventure, it says, oh, Kevin's Big Adventure, drama, uh, looking for uh, Kevin, uh, mid-40s, handsome, debonair, uh, smooth talker, da, da 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 And it's basically, it breaks down the cast of the movie. And um, I'm looking through the characters, and I come to Delta Snipers. And I'm like, oh, that sounds fucking cool, you know, because I'm into that shit. I'm like doing like Navy SEAL training in my backyard and shit like that. So I was like, yeah, this is this sounds awesome. And um, Bonnie Timmerman, again, I go in to read for um, for this role and I go to her office and I'm like, hey, Bonnie, da, 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 da. And, and she kind of like, you know, didn't say anything about Pearl Harbor, but was like we, we kind of were like, yeah, yeah, good that I wasn't involved in that. Um, but the role to read for was like an 18-year-old kid, Ranger, who had just uh, taken around to the femoral artery. And he's on uh, a table in this little um, village hut, and he's dying. And he's telling his Ranger buddies that are there with him, like, hey, tell my mama I did a good job and this kind of stuff, right? And I remember asking my manager, like, Hey, I want to read for the sniper guys. I, I, you know, the, the Delta guys. And uh, they're like, no, every, they're having everybody read for this Ranger role or something like that. So I was like, all right. So I go in and I go, well, I don't want to, uh, not that there's anything wrong with the Rangers, but I was like, uh, I, I want to be one of the Delta guys. So I'm going to read this like it was a Delta guy on his last leg, you know, bleeding out and talking to his boys. So uh, I read it the way I thought a guy, a seasoned, experienced operator would read it. And I got done with it. And uh, Bonnie goes, are you sure? Uh, you know, you're, this is an 18-year-old kid. He's super nervous. It's his first time in combat. And, da, da, da. and I was like, uh, all right, we can do it again or whatever. And I did it the exact same way where I just played it like an experienced operator. And she kind of had this smile on her face because she knew what I was doing, you know. Um, so I left. I forgot about it. I got a call um, a few months later. Johnny, do you have your passport? You're going to North Africa. You're the only guy that they're not going to send to Benning uh, to do the training because they know you're already, you know, working firearms and stuff like that. And I said, well, what's the role? And, and they um, faxed over the breakdown. And it said, Delta Sniper Randy Sugheart. Damn. And right when I read it, I, I instantly went back to when I was working out in my living room. While I'm reading the breakdown, it's like a Delta Sniper who, um, who gets uh, put in to rescue this crash down, uh, helicopter crash 
to um, protect the pilots or something like that. And it instantly brought me back to that moment where I went, holy shit, that's exactly what I was listening to that day in my living room while I was working out. And I, it almost like it was manifest, man. I don't, I can't explain the magic I've experienced in this life. Some people, I think they say, you know, it's this God or it's this other thing or whatever. I don't know what it is, but it's magic. And you don't want to screw that up when you get a role like that, you know? uh, Yeah, no, you don't. Um, But you know, the thing for me is anybody that's ever known me or worked with me, they know that. I, whatever I do, if I commit to it, like I was saying, I had no desire to commit to the Pearl Harbor movie, right? If I'm going to commit to something, I bring as much intensity as I would in any life and death situation, right? A lot of people, they have this fucking, this misguided uh, mindset uh, in the movie business, you know, I've heard some people go, Oh, we're just making movies. It's not <laughs> brain surgery. We're just making movies. And I, and I totally think that's a, uh, misguided approach because if you're going to spend your life doing something, then you should treat it as life or death because you're spending your time doing it. We don't get a fucking redo. There's no like, Oh yeah, whatever. It's this like bullshit. That, no, that's not how I approach it. I approach it with, you know, the utmost intensity and, and, um, and I looked at it as this was something special and the, the sacrifice that Randy and Gary, um, made on that day. Um, I, I think there's some misunderstanding in, in the, um, sort of the, um, objective view at it. Right. So most people, they go, Oh man, these guys are fucking like, they knew they were going to die. And I, I've had a lot of chats with CAG guys and different guys involved in that um, situation on October 3rd. And they said, no, man, they thought a convoy was coming. Their mindset was, we're going to go in, we're going to set up a perimeter around the crash site, protect Durant and all the crew chiefs and everybody else. And uh, the convoy is going to get to us. And then we'll all pile in the convoy and get the fuck out of there. Well, if you know anything about the story, that's not what happened. But um, these guys are, you know, people throw around the term hero. Um, I, I think this is in in most circumstances, right? That term is um, overused, you know? This is not one of those situations. I think these two guys were fucking studs. And um, and they went in and did what I think, again, going back to that circle around average and below average, um, these guys did what the uh, majority would not do, would not put themselves in that situation. And it was a fucking total honor, honor for me to be able to portray that and um, immortalize that on film because you know some people some people have that like i said misguided understanding about movies these are modern cave paintings this is the way we explain to the um to the children right of the world or even the adults of the world like this is what's right this is what's virtuous this is what's moral these are the good guys those are the bad guys and 
um, I think film is truly important. And I think a lot of people, they don't um, put the level of um, um, importance um, in making movies that they really should because, you know, and uh, don't get me wrong, 90% of what comes out of Hollywood is disposable bullshit. And that's because back again, it's uh, art for commerce and not pure art. But yeah, it was a fucking honor. And, and I, I wear that as a badge of, you know, pride uh, in my career to uh, portray Randy and, and uh, to be a part of that movie. Ridley just fucking knocked it out of the park. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, that That's one of those movies. I remember when it came out, just my circle of friends and people that I engaged with, they were like, you've got to see this movie. It's bonkers. Like you can't <laughs> believe because history channel had done a series of, you know, like when things go wrong and, and, you know, stories of like behind the mission and things like that. Right. All, right. All, you know, nine 11 pre nine 11 type of documentaries. Right. And, uh, when that came out, I was like, Oh my God. And I, and I kept thinking to myself, cause I grew up in new England and around that time, you know, there were restrictions on, you know, what, uh, pistol magazines we could carry. Right. And I was right, like, right. I don't have enough ammo. You know, I kept thinking about that. Right. If I was in that guy's shoes, I don't have enough ammo. And I'm thinking to myself, right. damn, I couldn't imagine what that was like. Um, it seems like your career, like you've, you've had a couple of these big blockbusters and unless I'm wrong, it seems like you, you then pursued like the writing, the producing, the, like the passion projects, things that just spoke to you as opposed to what you were just saying, like the, let me just go out there and make a movie and collect a big paycheck. And I don't really give a shit what, what I'm doing. Like yeah. some of the movies that you were in afterwards, they followed your interests. And again, like me not being a creep, but knowing that you were into like rucking and long distance shooting and, and, and firearms work. I'm like, these are movies where he gets to show that off where he gets to demonstrate it. Yeah. I think again, uh, you know, for me as a human being, um, what I do in this life, um, is really an expression of the things that I care about and care is, uh, at least in my opinion, these days is a four letter word. Um, because most people don't fucking care. Um, Salvador Dali, one of the, my favorite artists, right? He, he put out a book, uh, before he died. And he said, you know, you look back to Raphael and Michelangelo and these, and these amazing artists, right? And what separated those guys, as you were saying, Renaissance men from the modern art, right? The art for commerce world is effort. And I, I can't tell you how many times I've been disappointed in my, um, experience in life with people's lack of fucking effort. And that's in the gym, in the field, in on a movie set, in a record studio, um, in a in a shop, like in life as a um, in your relationships, as a friend, as a, you know, a family member, all these kind of things, you know, it's lack of fucking effort. And I find it absolutely repulsive because I I saw that in myself and uh, as a young man. And I, I, I thought to myself, like, why am I doing this? What, why am I going to do these things if I'm not going to put 100% fucking effort into it? 
and and I made a decision in my life to um, not only um, change my mindset about what I do in every facet as a man, as an artist, as a family man, all these type of things, right? Um, but to impart that on the people that I'm around. So if I'm on a movie set, I'm trying to motivate people to be the best. And I can tell you something, it is some of the most frustrating um, moments of my fucking life. Because again, the average is, and the majority, average and below average. And it's a tough thing. And, and this is why I often make this comparison, right? Is I decided to be a superhero one day. And I realized the disconnect of what comic books really are, right? Most people, right, they pick up a comic book and they, uh, like a Batman comic book, and they go, yeah, I'm fucking Batman. I would totally swoop in and da-da-da. Or yeah, I'm fucking Superman and da-da-da. The bad news is, is the majority are none of that. They are the people pointing up at Superman going, look, it's a bird, it's a plane, or, or that are getting their ass kicked and Batman shows up as this savior, you know? Um, it's lonely when you're the superhero. It's lonely. Like being a, like, you know, you introduced me as a guy who is a musician, an artist, a writer, a director, an actor, a knife maker, a martial artist, a shooter, all these type of things. I don't know many people like me. Right, right. It's fucking lonely. You ever hear and the expression, I, I, uh, would you want you to come and rescue you? Oh, fuck yeah, dude. That's fuck one yeah. that gets me going. Because let's face it, like like I feel craft. We've got a lot of guys that take shooting classes. A lot of guys take med classes. A lot of guys take mobility classes and survival classes. But I don't know many who have taken all of them. You know, and we kind of pride ourselves here at the company. If we say like, oh, they're an instructor. Well, they can do a little bit of everything. They might specialize in long range or specialize right. in primitive skills. But sure. like, I don't fancy myself a gun instructor, but I would have no problem getting on front of the line and, and demoing, like, check this out. This is how you do it. You know, sure. but that expression, would you want you to come and rescue you? A hundred percent. Because I know I would fucking die trying. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, and that's effort. That's the fucking difference, man. And and I try as as hard as I can to impart that on people that I'm around in my life. And I can tell you, the people that aren't capable of shouldering that responsibility, they end up hating my fucking guts. Because I'm the asshole that woke up at four in the morning and got a workout in and fucking showed up on set and worked the fucking hardest and tried to, you know, like pushed the fucking envelope the 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 average the majority they don't like people like that they will worship them in a comic book they will go to see movies based on people like that but when they're in their lives it's almost there's this fucking resentment that they have like oh you think you're so fucking great because you do this and do that and do that and da -da -da -da. i don't think i'm that great i'm just doing it for mental and spiritual satisfaction so that i go I am competent with tools and they can be firearms. They could be instruments. They can be uh, software. They can be whatever it might be. It's just the level of effort that's being put out. Um, that satisfies my soul, man. You know, that's, that's a real important thing for me. And, and, uh, but 
back to what we were talking about of um, on the movie side of things is, you know, um, why did I go from these huge Hollywood movies to these smaller independent movies is because um, it, it, let me unpack this for a second. So if I tried to stay in Hollywood as Johnny Strong, the road for me to be able to become the master of my own destiny, right, would be very difficult. There are a lot of dicks to suck. There are a lot of fucking asses to kiss that I honestly just don't feel like doing. Um, so naturally, the way I approached it, because at the time I was going, uh, you know, you read this script and you don't like it. You read that script. You don't like it. You see that movie. You go, oh, man, I, I don't want to do this. I want to do this type of movie with this type of character. And my um, end goal, right, is always the progression of the self and the progression of me as an artist. So I never wanted to just be an actor. Charles Chaplin was like one of my fucking idols growing up, not, despite the fact that he was kind of a pedo in his, in his time, but <laughs> as an artist, right? Yeah. Um, the day I, I was watching a Char Charles Chaplin movie as a teenager, and I remember um, at the end, it was like directed by Charles Chaplin, written by Charles Chaplin, scored by Charles Chaplin, fucking starring Charles Chaplin. And I thought, holy fuck, you can do that? I'm like, that's what I want to fucking do. I want to make my own fucking movies. And doing that in Hollywood would have been a very difficult approach because there's tons of people that um, are, uh, how do I put it, like group think individuals, which means, you know, um, they don't look kindly on a guy like me that can do the music and direct and write and star and color and edit and do all this kind of stuff. I'm, I'm like an anomaly that threatens other people's jobs. So I'm not... Guys like me aren't wanted. And you bring like, different ideas that they don't yeah, like because you're not part of the group. Not part of the group. And also it alienates people when uh, you, you show up and you're you're better at their job than they are. And that's merely not a, a um, ego thing. It's merely the amount of effort that's being put out. Some people are just fucking coasting through life. And, and those aren't my kind of people. Like I want, I want to, I want to like test the fucking limits. I want to push the boundaries. I want to, you know, I, I wanted a bigger picture for me as an artist. So I decided I'm going to go into the independent movie realm as an actor and become a collaborator in there so I can inject my ideas. So um, the type of guns I use in the movie or what action I I do in the movie or what I say as far as the dialogue's concerned or, or changing the character in one way or the other. And when I did two small independent movies, I had that uh, freedom, um, mostly because I came with the weight of being in these huge Hollywood movies and going into the independent world. These guys were trying to go in that direction. It's like I'm going in one direction and they're trying to go where I just came from. You know what I mean? Um, so it allowed me some freedom that I could kind of push the boundaries a little bit and go, hey, you know what, we should change the script like this. Or, hey, I, I like that, but can we do this shot like this because I think it has a, a better effect or instead of doing, you know what I mean? Like bringing um, 
bringing those ideas, right? And um, and by doing that, it got me closer. It was like, you know, I, I, I often tell people life is really like uh, rock climbing where sometimes you want to, you, you, your goal is to summit, right? To get to the top. That's the end goal. Your enjoyment should be the struggle of the climb. Because if you enjoy the struggle of the climb, it's fucking an enjoyable process, right? But sometimes as you're climbing, if you've ever climbed before, you know that it's not a straight line to the top. Sometimes you got to go to the left. Sometimes you got to go right. Sometimes you even have to go back fucking down and over and across to find a different line that gets you to, the, to where your summit is. And that's exactly what I did in the independent uh, film world was climb kind of down and over so I can um, continue my ascent up to becoming a, the writer and director and producer of my own movies. What's really interesting is that, <clears throat> like I said, in, in 2016, I watched Daylight's End and I'm watching this mm. movie and I'm like, that's Sonny Pazikas. And then I watch another scene. I'm like, mm-hmm. there's James Yeager. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I'm like, these aren't normal, like stunt guys. These are sure. trainers. And I was like, Oh my God, this is awesome. You know? Yeah. I mean, is that like your input as well, where you say to you say to the production team, we're not going to use the, the big box stunt production team. We're going to use these guys that, that I can, verify. I think, you know, a lot of that comes into friendships, mm-hmm. interpersonal relationships, uh, where, uh, the director of those movies was friends with one guy that, uh, knew guys that I was friends with and this kind of stuff. Um, yeah, there was even talk about one time where I wanted to bring my buddy, Travis Haley into the mix. And, um, but, um, that's, that kind of stuff just happens, you know, where in, in the two movies that I did on the independent side, um, uh, just this guy knew that guy and this guy knew that guy and whatever. And James is a great dude. A lot there's, you know, everybody comes with, um, you know, um, uh, uh, people that promote them and people that detract from them. I've, my experience with James has been nothing but great. James is a fucking great dude. He just came to the premiere of my uh, latest movie and said something to me that was fucking awesome. He walked up and the first thing he goes, man, you could fucking retire. He's like, that movie was fucking amazing. You know, it was like one of those honest moments, you know, that a guy like James, you wouldn't predict like that's how he's going to react, you know? Um, but Sonny, another great guy, uh, a funny thing is like, you know, when I first met him, he was smoking and drinking and all this shit, eating like shit. And I was like, Sonny, man, you gotta, uh, you know, he would notice that I only ate organic food. I didn't smoke. I didn't drink. I'd wake up super early. I train all this stuff. And then, you know, cut to, you know, almost 10 years later. Now he's got his own organic farm he's working on and, uh, you know, all this kind of stuff. So it's interesting, you know, the gunplay stuff with different people involved. And that's the strange thing about me, man, that's different than Hollywood guys, is I'm the guy as far as guns are concerned. There are other actors that'll go to like Terrence, like weekend fucking, you know, ranch or whatever it is to, to brush up to make it look good for, you know, two months of filming. I've been doing this my whole life. My dad got me into firearms when I was five years old and I've been training ever since there's a lot of guys that might want to take credit for that like oh yeah you know i'm the i I did this as an advisor or whatever man nobody tells me what to do with guns like i show up and i do my shit that and i i want to make it look 
as real as I make it look when I'm on the training range. Like there's no separation. I'm not going to do like weird, like single-handed, you know, um, chamber checks or whatever the fuck that I'm not going to do on the range, you know, like gun, what do they call it? Gun foo or whatever the fuck they call it. Yeah. Yeah. Glock foo um, or gun foo. Yeah. Whatever the fuck that is. That's not my shit. Like I'm there to function just as I train in the field to function. So the guys um, that are, the guys that are listening, obviously are gun guys, right? Like we have a, okay, a big okay. training side. I mean, they're probably wondering right now preferences, right? Like nine forty nine or 45. Two, two, like three, or, or three, oh eight. Like, so if you're going to run down like your three gun or like, if you have to run to the Hills, what are you grabbing? Brunettes and thick on the bottom. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I'll tell you what, I'll be honest, Kevin, uh, they're tools, whatever tool will get the job done that I, that that's the tool I want to use. Um, I don't have this modern fucking bullshit stigma or dogmatic view that a lot of people that discovered the fucking keyboard, like, you know, that moment in um, one of my favorite directors, Stanley Kubrick is uh, um, 2001. These apes are fucking banging this bone around, you know, basically that's like the modern keyboard. Right. Um, I just, I'll use whatever the fuck you put in front of me. If you throw me a fucking, you know, M and P shield and say, Johnny, we got fucking work to do. Let's go to work. If you fucking, you know, put a fucking stick in my hand, I'm going to have the same intensity and mindset that I would if I have a long range accuracy international rifle. Uh, like to me, it's just about um, the Indian and not the arrow as, uh, you know, my buddy Jeff Gonzalez would say. Um, but that's, I totally believe that. Train the self and then the self can operate with within whatever circumstance that it's put in, you know, um, what do I like to shoot? Fucking whatever, dude. I, I love my, uh, traditional recurve bow. That thing is fucking just a laser. Um, 1911s are great pistols. I grew up shooting 1911s with my father. Um, ARs are great. M14s are great. AKs are great. Like, I mean, to me, I, I'm down to, I'm down to party, <laughs> whatever, <laughs> what, however you want to party, let's party. Oh man. And now there's the other part of you, the other side of you knife making, right? Like, knife making, so yes. I, I was at blade show. Chris Jensen from Exotac is like, Oh, you got to see Johnny Strong's knife. And I was excited because I had seen them online, but I never, never handled one. Sure. And it was like, okay, we, got another knife maker who's putting out some pretty badass blades. So sure. how did you, how did you get into that? And was that just like a natural progression of, of like this whole yeah, idea man. of like being to me, an it's artist? A, 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 yeah. Uh, being an artist, the best way I can explain it is like a water in, in a well, right? Um, it all stems from the same place. Like m uh, my music my sculpting, my work with metal or my work in movies or my martial arts or whatever, or shooting on the range. To me, it's all comes from the same creative source. Um, and in knife making, it was always one of those things where I'd see a cool knife and I'd go, oh man, that's fucking cool. I remember when I was a kid, man, like getting the Rambo knife at the fucking surplus was like, <laughs> yeah. oh my God, that was one of the biggest days of my life. I'll never forget that. 
um, running around with a fucking, and my, God bless my parents for being cool. Let me fucking run around with a Rambo knife from the surplus. My mom was a fucking saint. Um, but yeah, I, I would always look at knives and go, man, that's cool. I want it a little bit different though. I draw it like this. I've always been an artist. I've been drawing since I was a kid, you know? Um, and, uh, and then one day, uh, so check this story out. That's kind of cool. So one day I'm, um, looking on a knife back at, back when like websites still were like, look like fucking Atari and shit, you know? I was looking at a knife website and it had this maker, Wally Hayes from Canada, who was a traditional Japanese uh, sword and knife maker um, or Japanese style knives or swords, you know? Um, and I remember I saw this, it was a wakasashi. I go, man, that's fucking awesome. And then um, I emailed him and I was like, hey, Wally, uh, um, I just saw one of your knives. I really like it. Da, da, da. I'm, I'm, I'm calling to find out, or I'm uh, emailing you to, to find out if you can make one for me. Um, because I think it was sold out or something on the website. I forget. Uh, and I didn't write my name or anything. I, I, maybe I put my initials at the end of the email or something. And then the next email was, man, Johnny strong. I love your music. I love your movies. It was like, like, I guess he looked at where it came from or he did the math or whatever the fuck you do when you look at the email. And, um, and he's like, fuck making you something come up and I'll teach you how to make knives, which I thought was the fucking coolest thing ever because you know that old adage of uh you know you, you you give a man a fish or you teach him how to fish type of thing so so i said fuck yeah i'm on my way so i roll up there uh for like four or five days and start hammering on some steel and i make a wakasashi and i make a little tanto and at the end of our week-long session he's like dude he's like i've had 40 people come through my shop like you know, fucking 30 of them, they all made butter knives, um, which is code for dog shit. Um, and he's like, you could do this. He's like, you could be one of the, you know, a fucking real knife maker. And I was like, oh man, that's fucking awesome. And to me, it's like I said, it come, it's just water from the same well or water from the same spring. It's, it's the same effort that I put out. You know what I mean? Um, so he goes, all right, go home, buy yourself a one inch grinder, a jet grinder. And, uh, and then you can buy yourself some files and da, da, da. So I, I'm thinking he just gave me the inside scoop of what w would help me become a knife maker. So I get home, I buy this shitty fucking jet one inch grinder for like 150 bucks or something like that. And I buy a handful of files and I start grinding on fucking, uh, steel. And I'm like, holy shit, this is. I, and I called him. I was like, dude, how long does it take you to fucking make this knife? Or like, because this, it's taken me like five days to just get one fucking, you know, facet of the knife ground. And he goes, uh, in his fucking Canadian voice, he goes, oh, well, that's a shit grinder. <laughs> and I go, well, why the fuck did you tell me to buy it? And he's like, well, I didn't know you wanted to really make knives. And I was like, yeah, dude. I'm like, I don't like I don't half-ass anything that I that I set out to conquer. You know what I mean? If we're going to fucking war, we're going to make sure either we're all dead or they're all dead. There's no fucking compromise. So um so anyways, 
I go, well, then tell me what the fuck. I, he goes, oh, well, you need to buy this uh, two-inch grinder, you know? And he gives me this whole list of shit that's like fucking a ton of money. And I go, okay, fuck it. I got to find the money. So I buy all this shit. And um, the seventh knife I made was on the cover of Blade magazine. Um, and it was this big combat assassin. Like one of the, man, it took me forever to get this thing fucking, you know, looking awesome. But um, I love it. Uh, I don't, you know, I tried the making knives for other people route and it kind of started to swerve into the service industry type of thing. Like I'm just this asshole that gets told what to do and that's not really how I function properly. Um, so now I just will like surprise people and make them something fucking rad or I'll make something and somebody will go, Oh, that's fucking cool. Can I, can I buy that? You know, that type of thing, man. It, it sounds like you suffer from the same problem that I do. And I think a lot of the guys listening where you have all these interests, right? Like, uh, rock and roll, uh, music, knife making movies, martial arts. All, mm. How the hell do you find time? You know what I mean? Like, well, man, there's 24 hours in a day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I know, I know that's people lot, say like, that's a lot of fucking time. Yeah. They're like, I'll oh, sleep yeah. and you're dead. But like, I still need some sleep, man. You know, like not a lot. Yeah, but. No, you know, the thing is, 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 um, I perform, um, when I feel like I have to. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, right now I'm, I'm having a conversation with you. I could be in my studio making music. I could be in my shop, um, banging on steel i could be at the range uh perfecting my training i could be uh at my computer writing uh the sequel for my new movie um i could be doing a lot of things but i do them when i feel like my spirit needs to do it and that's the other thing here's the crazy thing man i don't believe it comes from me at all i believe that i have I'm in tune like an antenna. And I think people that are kind of like me uh, in that way are just able to pull those frequencies out of the ether and they're just used as a conduit, you know? Um, that's how I feel about it. Like, that's why, you know, I feel if it came from me, I would constantly be trying to, trying to squeeze it out like a fucking, you know, tube of toothpaste. But it's not like that. Some some days the tube's just fucking empty. And and you just, you know, you're I'm just gonna sit outside in a chair and look at how beautiful the fucking sky is. And then some days it's like, where's my guitar? I need my guitar. Where's my computer? I need my fucking computer. Where's my pencil? I need to draw this picture. You know, I can't I can't really control it. The only thing I do daily that is for sure, like I try not to miss a day, is either PT or um, fighting. So mixed martial arts, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Man, that's a, a hell of a schedule right there. Um, <laughs> now talk about this, this new movie you got coming out, War Horse One. Um, mm -hmm. You know, is it based on a true story or is it, uh, you know, is it something that was kind of inspired by something that you heard about or, or where does it come from? Well, you know, um, like I was saying earlier, uh, my goal has always been to be write, produce, and direct my own movies. So um, the, a guy that I had done a couple other movies with who was the director of those movies, 
um, I called him and said, hey, man, I'm making a movie. Do you want to make a movie with me? Uh, and it really was kind of like my first step into writing and directing uh, a movie. And I realized that I'm, I'm going to be in front of the camera 90% of the time, 99% of the time, whatever. So I'm going to need somebody on the other side of that, overseeing what needs to be done. And so uh, he stepped in kind of as really more so a producer and helped me direct the movie. Um, uh, you know, and, um, it's, that's how it started was like, I want to make a movie. And then, um, I had a, I had envisioned a story, um, of an experience I had as a human being, um, with my family that I wanted to express in a film. Uh, I can't really get into details sure. about that, but maybe when you see the movie, you'll understand. Um, and then the setup of that was, um, I remember um, the story of Roberts Ridge and about Johnny Chapman and about Neil Roberts and about that experience of, of what happened up there. And I thought, um, what, a, what a more tragic and um, horrible way to start a movie where a guy is um, loses his team and he's by himself on a mountain in Afghanistan. And so that's how the story starts. Um, and it's a story about um, uh, a dev group team that is sent to escort and extract a group of missionaries that was stuck in Afghanistan uh, during the 2021 uh, pullout uh, from the Afghan war. And um, this uh, uh, helicopter gets shot down and my character, um, Chief Mirko, is the only survivor of the crash. And um, he uh, stumbles upon the remnants of an ambush of the uh, family he was trying to, uh, him and his team were uh, sent in to escort. And the only survivor of that ambush is a five-year-old girl the daughter of uh, this missionary. And so um, it's his mission to um, ex uh, extract her out of the mountains. So that's kind of the premise of the story. And, um, you know, it's not based on a true story, but it's, you know, there are elements of the story that, you know, it's funny, uh, we just had a premiere in, t uh, in Texas. And um, one of the things I did when I was writing the movie was um, putting in elements that I knew that guys that had been over there could relate to. And um, after the uh, premiere, we were at the after party and I had different seals coming up to me going, Hey, you know what that reminds me of? Reminds me of the time I fell off a mountain. Yeah. And, you know, and like, and then, you know, each story that I heard from different guys were different elements of the movie that strategically I had written into the script that these guys that had been through that kind of stuff could relate to. So, um, so yeah, man, it's amazing. It's it, like I said uh, earlier, if there were um, any projects that I'd want to be remembered by um, in my passing would be Black Hawk Down and Warhorse One. Man. My two most proud moments in the film industry. 
And see, I would think that a lot of folks would say, oh, well, you know, what about that, that Fast and Furious? It's the biggest franchise ever. But the fact that you want to, you want to be known for these says something about your performance in them, says something about the messaging behind it, the, the intention, you know, behind making it. And the, you know, the effort put into it, yeah. uh, by myself, you know, um, and also the spiritual satisfaction, you know, I remember, um, the experience making the fast and the furious for me was a strange experience. Um, I've often felt like an outsider in my life, like growing up as a kid and with, with my family and, and my uh, circle of friends. Like I, I didn't have a lot of friends. I was kind of a loner. Um, and I, I, I dealt with a lot of psychological and emotional issues, which I think, you know, um, sort of guided my journey into becoming an artist. You know, I think if I had, I grew up in a, you know, Ivy League school and all this kind of stuff with a, you know, rich family and stuff. I don't know if I'd, I'd need to pick up a guitar or if I'd need to um, write a script or, you know, do something like that. I, I think that the product of my uh, environment motivated me, you know, um, and pushed me in that direction. You know, you bring you bring up that story uh, of your childhood, and uh, you know, I, I used to work at a public high school, and I would see the kids that were the loners, right? And I would see the kids that weren't necessarily in the popular cliques, but right. they would often fall back on their imagination and their creativity. Oh, fuck yeah. Right. Yeah. And because they were they were forced to because they weren't being invited to parties. They weren't. the Well, ones yeah, that were... it's that's the thing is, is it's not when I say motivated. Yeah. I mean, it's not even voluntarily like I would have loved to been in the fucking cool crowd. Mm-hmm. I would have loved to fucking like been accepted as like what I perceived as the cool people like, you know, and it was like almost like that alienation was what, um, you know, uh, involuntarily, you know, drove me to go, ah, fuck them. I'm going to go play my guitar or, or I'm going to go do this other thing and, and use my imagination to, to, to figure out what spiritual satisfaction that I need in this life, you know? Yeah. And but I'm, yeah, I'm I totally, some, I could totally see that. I'm not some psychotherapist or anything like that, but I also know like if you are in that <laughs> click you're going to think whatatever everyone else wants you to think. And you're not going to think yeah, for yourself. Maybe. You know, yeah, so you know like maybe that, there's something the, to it. Like, yeah. You know, maybe the fact should... that you say that right now, I, I totally, I can, I can picture people like succumbing to the peer pressure of like some of the girls in the cool click and all that kind of stuff. Like they all had the similar hairdos and they all dress the fucking same and shit, you know? Um, God, I am like, you know, I am so fortunate, like for the misfortune in certain aspects of my life, you know, I'm so thankful for it. Like being right where I am in my existence right now, it's like, I, I wouldn't change anything that's happened, um, for all the fucking money in the world, you know, what's it like? Cause I'm sure you still get this. Like, do you, what, what's like the strangest encounter you've had with a fan where a fan has recognized you on the street or somewhere and they're like, I know that guy, like that's got to happen regularly, right? Yeah, it, ha- it happens, you know, uh, 
one time in a gun store, I was buying a gun and, uh, and they're like, so Johnny strong. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. They're like, you're not that actor, are you? <laughs> and it's like, no, I, I get that a lot. I get that a lot. Cause our, we have the same name and, and the guy's like, yeah, but you look a lot like that guy too. <laughs> and <laughs> I, you know, here's the thing, man, is if I could do what I do and not be famous, I would fucking much rather do that. Like fame to me and money even, you know, like those two things are not incentives to me. I don't, I would rather not be recognized. I would rather walk down the street and have nobody fucking know me. Nobody, you know, even if they don't fucking acknowledge me. Like, I like being a ghost, you know, I, I, there's something like, and I think the strange thing you said at the beginning of the interview, bro, you said you're a Hollywood guy, like, Mm. man, if there was something, you know, there's a line in star Wars, right? If there's a place farthest from the brightest center of the universe, it's here. I think Luke Skywalker says it about where he, where his home planet is. Right. Or something like that. I am the farthest fucking thing from Hollywood guy. Like I'm <laughs> no, I feel like a total dick for calling you a Hollywood guy, by the way. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I don't, I don't take it disrespectful at all, but because it's, that's like, uh, that's what you would expect. Yeah. Like, I think that's a natural thing that people go, Oh, the dude's in these fucking huge movies and he's done a bunch of records and all this stuff. He must be, you know, a product of that uh, system, which I'm not. And which is like, why um i had a very like you know referring back to being a loner being kind of an outcast um nothing fucking changed when i was you know uh working in the movie industry i felt the same fucking way and on the set of the fast and furious it was even more so because it was like uh uh paul walker and um uh mark and i mean uh vin diesel um these were the cool guys you know what i mean and like i wasn't that and it was funny because i represented kind of an outcast in the in the cast of characters of this uh uh, street racing gang i was the guy that was not really part of the cool family like i was the outcast and at the end of the film i just disappear just like a fucking ghost. And that's really a, a great analogy or metaphor of my real life. Like that's how I've always felt. I'm not part of the fucking family. I'm not, I am the outcast, you know? Um, which I think is why, what are the other things in our psychotherapy session that we're having here? <laughs> this is why I'm so fucking motivated to be good at the things I wanna be good at is because if I can't be part of the fucking cool crowd, then I'm just going to be better than they are. You know what I mean? I mean, that, that cast, I mean, I'm just, I've got a computer pulled up in front of me right now. Sure. I mean, back then it was like, wow, these are all the up and comers that you hear these names today, sure. like, you know, so many different movies, you know, sure. I mean, sure. meteoric rise. Uh, sure. Well, you got to remember too, is people don't understand that that's all part of the system. Yeah. Like that was a package deal at the creative artist agency, CAA. 
that uh, Paul and Vin and all those guys, that was all a package deal at Universal. So and people don't know that. They think, oh, that this person just got that role. No, that's that's all part of a huge handshake business between agencies and studios and all that kind of stuff. Damn. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's a it, it's the biggest fucking film franchise in history. And and I'm the only person that wasn't killed off that hasn't returned to the movies. I'm waiting for you to be in Fast and Furious 197. Hey, don't hold your breath, brother. (laughs) (laughs) You know, some people, they, they, you know, a lot of my fan base is like, man, why don't you come back to the Fast and the Furious? And, and I, I give them this analogy, right? When I was a young man, I wanted to have my own restaurant and be a chef, right? I want to be the chef of my own restaurant, of my own cuisine, have my own menu of the food that I want to make and, 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 um, and have people experience that. Right. So when I'm a young man, I want to be in the food industry. So what's the first job I get? I go to McDonald's and I'm working at McDonald's. Right. And then 20 years later, I finally have my own restaurant. I have my own menu. I'm the, I'm the chef. I'm the owner. I, I, I'm in this great experience and everybody keeps asking me, why don't you go back to work at McDonald's? Like for me, there's no, like that was the, that was, that wasn't what I wanted in the first place, but that was a stepping stone to the goal that I had in the future. You know, McDonald's, the biggest fucking restaurant in the world, the biggest fucking franchise in the world. Um, but to me, it's like, that would be a step in the wrong direction, you know, as an artist. So now what's the next step for you in the direction that you're headed? Well, right now I'm, I'm in the process of working on the sequel to war horse one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm starting to write that script. And then I have two other scripts that, uh, movies that I want to make these stories I want to tell. Um, and, uh, God, you know, it's almost like, you know, the, I'm reaching the apex of where, you know, that facet of my life, like filmmaking, like right now. So for War Horses, uh, director, writer, producer, star, composer, editor, colorist, VFX artist, like I'm almost at the point where I'm doing the whole thing, you know? Uh, and I think once I do that a couple times and I find perfection in my mind, you know, I might point my nose in a different direction and, and do something else. But, you know, I think you can always get better at these things. So, like, I go to the range to practice um, with pistols and rifles to get better. I'm pretty good. All the bullets, for the most part, go where I want them to go. But. I go back for the, the, um, I go back to improve. I want to improve in every aspect of my life. And that's why I continue to train. Like every night I go to, uh, into my gym to do jujitsu or boxing. I want to get better. I want to find, you know, a clearer path for my mind, my body and my spirit. So, yeah, that's the next. The next step is the sequel to Warhorse One, 
and um and just continue down the path as a as a warrior poet you know something that i always ask the guests is uh if you had advice for someone listening right now that was interested in becoming someone like you right someone who don't is, do it don't do it <laughs> don't do it man don't do it because the more effort you put out mm-hmm. the more despised you are by the majority because they aren't they aren't waking up going how do i get better i mean think about it think about like you know you talk about navy seals or or green berets or dev grew or uh cag or any like the the elite of the elite these dudes are there for a reason right they're there for a reason but name another fucking you know th- these special dudes in the military they're fucking hated oh yeah they're fucking seals would you write another book you know oh you're green beret okay yeah yeah you save these people that are right they're they're hated at the same time they are loved and that is a lonely place to be, man. It is not, Superman is not a happy dude. Bruce Wayne is miserable. You know, at the end of the day, I would not suggest that route if um, I would say um, it is much easier um, blending in with the crowd or just showing up and giving minimal effort like everybody else. You know, that. And now that's my general advice, but for the 1%, this, I, I was trying to explain this the other day is I'm not a good coach because I think a good coach would take 10 people sitting on a bench and treat them all with kind of simul- similar behavior, try to motivate all of them similar uh, in a similar fashion. And, um, you know, would come back the next day, even though he's disappointed and do the same thing again. I can tell you in my honesty, I'll take those 10 dudes and I'll say the seven of you, you guys can leave. The three of you, I could tell you are fucking motivated. I could tell you are determined. I could tell that you guys are willing to fucking put out maximum effort. And you three are the ones that I'm going to put my time and effort into. Right. That's my mentality and that might not be a good thing someone you know in a psychological psychological evaluation might go oh man that's not a good way to approach it but that's the way i approach it because for the last 20 years of my training i've put a lot of time and effort into the low-hanging fruit and i've seen very poor results from it and it's not from my lack of effort um but I could tell you, I got three guys that I train with on a daily basis that are fucking savages crushers that come back every day that want to get better and that, that are in it to win it, you know, and that's sort of a, uh, mindset I have is win or die. And that's that thing of like, you know, um, my advice, right. To the seven of the 10 guys sitting on the bench, don't don't get into my world, my business, uh, you know, trying to do this kind of stuff because, um, it's not going to work out. But for the three dudes that are 
motivated, talented, because they put fucking maximum effort into it that are willing to have that mindset, win or die. There is no plan B. Um, the three of you, go ahead, man. Push hard. Be hated by fucking so many people. Let it let it motivate you to just get better and better and better. Well, I'll tell you, man, very true to everything that you've been saying throughout this, this podcast. It's a very unique approach. It's not one that is going to win over the participation trophy no, they're receiving folks, <laughs> but, but it's honest, you know, and I got to respect that honesty. Like you want sure. people who are going to be as dedicated as you are. Um, and you know, I can tell you that there are a lot of folks out there that everyone says, well, I want my kid to become a doctor, a lawyer, you know, an accountant, like, sure. Well, not every kid's going to get there, you know, but maybe sure. your kid can do something amazing in their own right, you know, let them find their own way. Um, but they're not going to be that that one percent that you're talking about that goes on to these advanced degrees or whatever. But they're living sure. a good life, and they don't have to be that guy, you know. So. Sure, sure. I'm not saying that the seven people on the bench that uh, aren't going to put maximum effort can't be good human beings. They can't live meaningful lives. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, you know, as far as the participation tro trophy is concerned, I just don't hand out trophies. <laughs> you know, it's like. I, I just don't want to waste their time. And more specifically, I don't want to waste my time. And, and some might go, well, that's a selfish way to look at it. Listen, if you want to take my place in my coffin, then we can discuss this. We'll debate whether or not it's worth my time, but I'm the guy that's going to be staring up at that coffin lid. So, um, for me, um, I, you know, I vibrated a different frequency, you know, there's, I, for some reason, dude, I wind up friends with team guys and fucking seals or uh, green berets, whatever. Like we just gravitate towards each other, like in a strange kind of, or guys that even were, you know, infantry guys that were like a cut above the rest. For some reason, we kind of have that same mentality. And I, I always think back, like if you, if you show up right on a seal team and one of the guys shows up, like, let's say Joe shows up and he's like, yeah, I'm not going to give maximum effort today. Guess what? All fucking six of these dudes are like, are now at risk, right? This is why that selection process is so stringent, you know? And, and I talked to a buddy of mine the other day about, you know, there are, you know, these, um, you know, quotas and shit like that. And they need a certain amount of dudes in and all that kind of stuff, especially after the, the G watt. But, um, I have that same mentality in my regular life, Kevin, like if you're not going to show up and give maximum effort, right. Whether it be, you're going to train with me in jujitsu, you're going to work with me on a movie. You're going to work with me on a record. We're going to be friends and we're going to fucking throw a party together. We're going to go on the range and train with pistols and rifles. If you're, not there to suck less then don't show up I, I i just don't have time for it you know what i mean and a lot of people maybe there's listening to this possibly oh man this guy sounds like an asshole and really that's a term that people use when they don't want to fucking put as much effort in to what's being done as the person they're insulting you know in my book that's what i've i've experienced where, where, you know, somebody goes, ah, oh, man, Johnny's just an asshole. Well, maybe the fact that you didn't fucking show up wanting to win or die 
has something to do with your opinion. Man, that's powerful. I, w- I want to leave it at that one because that right there is is gold. Um, <laughs> I always ask people, but I've got a funny feeling you're not going to have a, a really good answer on this one. <laughs> Where can okay, people find you? <laughs> oh, man. You know what's funny? You just said that, dude, is, is I got in trouble because uh, I did a podcast and I got asked the same question. And my answer was, eh, you know, if you find my movies, they're out there. If you find my music, it's out there. You find my knives, they're out there. And uh, somebody important to me goes, what are you doing? Tell them to go to your website. Tell them to go to the Instagram page. <laughs> Tell them to do this, do that. I'm not a promoter. Yeah. I'm, I'm just not a promoter. I don't, I'm not in this to be famous. I'm not in this to, to make anybody think I'm a great guy. Man, I'm just a, a temporary life form that enjoys um the journey of um you know perfection there's no such thing as fucking perfection and i am on the fucking journey to to you know try to find it you know um and that's in everything can i be a better human being can i be a better artist can i be a better warrior can i be you know what i mean like push you know, I often, I often tell people is like, you know, aim small, miss small, right? If you aim for perfection, you might not hit perfection, but you're going to get close to it. But if you fucking aim for ordinary, then my friend, you are going to fucking be below average. Yeah. And that should be your mindset every day. You know, like, let's shoot for fucking perfection. Can we perfect this workout? Can we perfect this fucking um, training session? Can we perfect this scene in the movie? Can we perfect this, um, these lyrics in the, in the song, you know, whatever it might be, or that edge, that clean edge of the knife, like, is it fucking perfect? Like, that's what I'm aiming for. So how can people find me? Let me put on a hat that I don't even ever want to wear. It's a promoter. You can go to my website, johnnystrong.com, or you can go to find my Instagram. I'm not a social media guy. I don't follow anybody but the Warhorse One movie page, the Instagram. You can follow the movie on there. Um, I just, I, I don't have time to be on social media, you know, following everybody and stuff. There are people out there that I think are fantastic human beings who do fantastic fucking, you know, tier one human being stuff that I wish I could keep up with, but I'm, I'm busy trying to fucking, you know, push the limits of my existence. So, um, hopefully you enjoy the the movies and music I do and, and, and the work I do. Um, and I appreciate you taking the time, man. It's time is precious. Life is short. Let's, uh, let's all push to fucking, you know, have a life well lived. Hell yeah, man. And that's, that's why I wanted to bring you on. Cause I think you got a lot of cool stuff going on and, and you're an example of someone who can do it all. Right. And that's something that, you know, I always tell people be a white belt in something new. Right. But also try to get as many black belts as you can. Oh, fucking a man. You know, this, this concept of Jack of all trades, master of none that the Jack of all trades part used to be a compliment. It used to be, you know, when the concept of a renaissance, man, that used to be a badge of honor. That used to be something that people strived for. But in the removal of the responsibility from the established sort of hierarchy of of the pay to live system, it was almost like the incentive to be less than is the motivator. 
And for me, I've, I've never understood that. Like I, I want to be a better, you know, at, better at everything I approach. And, and that's really start as a white belt and look forward to the black belt, but enjoy the journey and the struggle and fall in love with that. Um, and, uh, and that, master of none just remember some asshole that gave minimal fucking effort added that on to the end end of jack of all trades <laughs> all right man well hey uh before i sign off here i just got to say our hr our human resources human resource uh manager sarah loves you and she told me that if i don't say that during this podcast she will have my ass so uh, uh, that's awesome so at some well, point tell tell sarah that uh you know, I'm a very, um, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Tell uh, her I don't I'm know. We'll, we'll figure it out <laughs> after I'll, after we sign off, maybe, uh, yeah. I'll get your info and try to get a, a signed photo or something that she'll oh, yeah, up next to the computer man, for sure. So, uh, yeah, guys, this is, uh, this has been awesome. Fieldcraft's Crafts Survival podcast. Uh, Johnny strong was awesome to have you on, man. And, Thank you uh, guys. Uh, thanks so much for listening. Yeah. Win or die. Yeah.